This morning we ask the question, <clears throat> what is evangelism? And hopefully we had an answer that worked for all. And hopefully, that, <laughs> I won't question you right now. Hopefully you remembered the answers right there. But it's the public preaching, the teaching, the speaking with others. But I told you this morning that I only was really worried about the what, because tonight we'll be talking about the how. Okay? We're talking about the how this evening. A few weeks ago on Wednesday night, uh, in our Wednesday night class, we were talking about miracles. And we discussed how Jesus told Peter and the other soon-to-be apostles to cast their net one more time. And I'm sure, as we talked about on that Wednesday night, that deep down in their hearts, they probably thought, I don't know that this is going to work. Because we've been out fishing all night with no success. But, as the Bible says there, nevertheless, they did it. They cast them out one more time. And they were so successful that their nets were full, that they had to have help because they were about to break. They were so successful. But I want us to think about tonight the question, how to be more evangelistic. Well, Ben read there just a moment ago. Jesus said that his apostles, that these men that he was talking about would be described as fishers of men. The reality is, is that there was nothing truly special about any of them. They were living a pretty hard scrabble life where they were. Some of them were fishermen, and we talked about that on that Wednesday night class, where they went out and if you were successful, if you had a good haul, well then you're going to make money. But if you didn't make any, if you didn't bring anything in, it was going to be pretty lean right there. We talked about how that Matthew, one of the apostles, was a tax collector. And that was a fairly lucrative job, but it wasn't a job that won you a whole lot of friends. But some of the people that were apostles were probably more educated. Some of them were less educated. Some of them were probably uh, mathematically more skilled. Some of them maybe more physically skilled. But all of them was just a sort of hodgepodge of people that had been called by Jesus to serve. And their responsibility would involve a good bit of evangelism. But these people were nothing fancy, we might say. Regular jobs, regular people. And there, it's important to say that because there was really no magic formula for them as well. Now they had some gifts bestowed upon them, but really you see quite often in the Bible, Jesus taking opportunities to teach his disciples. Quite often there would be some kind of lesson and it's almost like if you're watching a TV show, there's like a pause and Jesus will look over, we can sort of see, look over to his apostles and say, now what do you think about this or that? Kind of like in a show or something that way. Sort of like if we were teaching someone along the way because they had to be guided. There was again, nothing special about them, but they would be responsible for a whole lot. See, there would be no need for them if Jesus was going to live on the earth forever and walk and talk. I mean, they, they had no job. But Jesus' time was limited, and there was a task for them that needed to be completed as well. And so those things that Jesus was talking to them about, those principles that Jesus was presenting, were things that were required of them, but they still work for us today. So tonight, we're going to look at three ways to be more evangelistic. And when we get to the third one, I'm going to have you participate with me just a little bit, all right? So it won't be too hard, but I'll have you do that just a little bit. First of all, number one, the first way that I think that we can be more evangelistic is to let people 
see our life. Think about that for a second. Let people see our life just a little bit. Jesus lived an open public life. Have you ever thought where Jesus spent his nights? You ever thought about that? Because it doesn't really seem like in the Bible that Jesus could have told you, my address is dot, 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 something street, and I'll be there start at 5 o'clock every night. Most of us have that address written down. Right? Most of us, I'll be there, that if I, my pajama pants will be on at 5 o'clock. You can come see me right then, right? We kind of lock it. I don't know where Jesus really stayed. Well, he said that birds have nests, right? And foxes have holes, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his hand. But Jesus spent time going from place to place. He didn't really have a home. Well, I'm not going to discourage you from having a home, but what sometimes happens when we have a home? We go to the home and we don't come out. But Jesus' life took him from place to place. So I'm not telling you to burn the house down and start tramping around. That's not what I'm saying. But at least we got to be seen. we got to be in public. We have to live our life in public just as Jesus did. Jesus lived his life open and available to both friends and enemies. Think about that for just a second. We don't see Jesus withdrawing too often. And a lot of times Jesus was in situations where you or I would step back and say, I don't want to be in this situation. Mark chapter 12 and verse 37. If you turn there, you'll see that it says, And the common people heard him laugh. And so when I say common people right there, what that means is just regular folks that live in the community. Most, if not all of us, would be described as common people in that same situation as well. So Jesus was in the midst of them. <coughs> Talking, preaching, whatever times it may be. I saw this. I did not look this up. But I came across this. So you can look it up and prove me right or wrong. But 16 different times, the book of Matthew references multitudes following Jesus. Now, I don't know what the word multitude means to you. I don't know that multitude is a quantifiable number that always meant the same thing. But when I hear multitude, I think about a lot of people. In fact, whenever that story that we talked about about Jesus telling them to cast their nets, they had actually gotten into the boat and went away from the shore just a little bit because they were getting crowded by these multitudes of people that were all around him. And so he had to get away. Like, you know, if there's only one person beside you, that's not a big crowd. But there's clearly enough people that warranted a move. But 16 different times, this term multitude or something similar is used. But we don't think that that's Jesus is preaching. A lot of people heard. What did Paul tell Agrippa in Acts chapter 26 and verse 26? He said, for the king before whom I speak freely knows these things. Because he said, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. So the king is going to need to know, especially the big stuff, right? The king may let some other people handle some of the small stuff, but he's going to know the big stuff. And Paul says, you know this was happening. So what I read from that is this is not one or two people gathering in the back of a room or a store, but this is a large amount of people. These are 16 times multitude is used in the book of Matthew groups of people. His life was open. Ours should be the same. Jesus preached that we should be the same way. Matthew chapter 5. Turn over there real quick. To Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. This is the Sermon on the Mount, but it's really early. This is like the 13th or 12th verse uh, in, the, uh, in what we quantify as verses today. 
But Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We talked about that a little bit this morning. But that city on a hill is something that's been referenced quite often throughout history. But if you have a city that sits way up on a hill, you can kind of see where it is. You may or may not know this, but every direction you go to Lancaster from, you go up a hill. It sits on top of a hill. And where Mary and I used to live, we lived out Danville Street. And when I would be in my backyard, especially if there weren't a lot of leaves when it was cooler, you could see the Presbyterian Church's steeple. And it looks like it's really tall. It's kind of tall, but it looked even more tall because it was way up on a hill. And when the wind was right, they would play, their, their bells would chime out songs, and you could hear it because it would come down. Well, I didn't necessarily have to know where that was, but I could see it right there. Well, what is Jesus talking about here when he says a city that's on a hill? Well, that's the life that we live in. In a sense, we're up there as well. Everybody can see us. When Paul said it wasn't done in a corner, the same thing is said right here. You're the city on a hill. People are seeing what we do. Matthew 10, verse 32. Whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. We have to let others see our lives. The third one. How do we let people see our lives? Well, to start with, a pretty simple answer is be in public. You know, every now and then you'll read about somebody who is sort of secluded themselves. Now, I, don't, I don't mean people that maybe have health issues that are bedridden or something like that. But some of you may be familiar with the book, uh, The Catcher in the Rock. The author of The Catcher in the Rock is J.D. Salinger. When he wrote that book, he becomes incredibly famous at a really young age. And he sort of went and hid, for lack of a better description. And I think that the fame probably got too much for him. But he never really wrote anything that was near as good as that. Part of the reason the first book was so good is because it talks about a young man who goes through all of these experiences. Well, we have to go through experiences. If we're not going through experiences, if we're locking ourselves in at home, we're not experiencing anything. We're not facing any challenges or difficulties, but we're also not letting others see our light shine. And that's an important part of this as well. We have to be available. We have to be seen. We have to live that example. I was so glad that Ben said in his prayer tonight, because I've got it written down right here, that Ben often references a quote similar to, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one. Well, you didn't say it exactly like that. That's what you said in your prayer right there. And what that means is, is that you can stand up and talk for hours, but sometimes your actions say a whole lot more than your words do. If we're letting people see our life, that's what that means. So the second thing, we need to talk to people about the church. Talk to people about the church. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. Think about this for a second. I have three verses written up here on the screen. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, this is John. John preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you look that up, that is literally what it says in John, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. That's John. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, this is one chapter over, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's literally word for word exactly what John said in the previous chapter. Now, go over six chapters to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 7. Jesus told the apostles, and their task would be to go out, he told the apostles, 
as you go, apostles, preach, saying, quote, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So his saying here is that John told it before Jesus was here, or at least before Jesus was preaching, Jesus told it, and then Jesus said, when I'm going to be gone, you that are going to carry it with me, you need to say the exact same thing. So if that's what it was, then we need to say the same thing as well. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But what is the kingdom of heaven? We're setting right here in. When you're talking to people about the church, you're talking about the kingdom right here. He said, well, that's easy. I understand all of that. But what do I say? I will readily admit that while you probably think that I am super comfortable talking to anybody in almost any situation, there are some situations that I'm not quite as comfortable talking to people about. I don't like any kind of conflict. I will be real honest with you. And if I know that there's potential for conflict, I don't really like to be involved in that. I don't know if that's you because I know some people that just love it. But that's not really me. If there's going to be potential for conflict, that makes me a little bit nervous. Also, if I already know what the answer is before I'm about to ask it, sometimes that makes me a little bit nervous as well. And I know that sometimes when Jess and I were growing up, we had asked mom and dad for permission or something, and we knew what the answer was going to be. We was a little nervous, right? We, you know, if, we knew, if we knew they were going to say yes, it's easy to walk up there and say, hey, can we do this or that? If we knew the answer was no... It's a little hard. Well, sometimes we get into that when we talk to people about the church, right? We think, I already know what their answer is going to be. So the question is, what should I say? Well, the first thing that you should say, I'll just tell you this right now, is that you should print out a full sermon, and you should just start preaching to them right there. Some of you are shaking your head down. You don't feel comfortable doing that, right? Well, why do you not feel comfortable? I mean, this is like five days, not that much. It's, I haven't even got highlights on it. Why do we not feel comfortable with that? Well, that's a lot, right? You're going to listen to me talk for 25 minutes tonight. Maybe that's not the first thing that we need to think about. Maybe try this instead. What's something that's going on at church? What about an activity that we have done? You can tell somebody about that. That's real simple, right? You know what we did at church the other night? We packed food boxes. <gasps> oh, tell me about it. Or maybe, I don't care. Well, what are you out either way in that situation? You did it. You were involved in it. You mentioned it. That may not have caught their attention. Maybe a gospel meeting coming up. We have a gospel meeting coming up next week. We can say that to somebody. And they might say, I don't care. But they might say, what's a gospel meeting? And then he said, oh, we, we have church every night. But we have a new preacher that comes in, somebody from a different place. And they might say, who's your preacher? And he's like, his name's Alan Webster. But you might not know that. And he's like, oh, I don't remember. But he writes in that house to house, heart to heart. Oh, I've got that flyer or that uh, pamphlet at my house from time to time. See how that works right there? Sometimes it doesn't take a whole lot to sort of open the doors. But at the same time, they might say no. But what are you at? In that situation. Who are they saying no to? You? Not really. They're saying no to whatever was being taught. But they might say no today and say yes tomorrow. But right here, you're just simply telling them a little bit about it. Or maybe you know somebody who does mission work in South America. He comes here and he puts pictures on the screen and you would not believe some of the food that he has to eat while he's down there. Now see what we've talked about right there. How many verses have I cited right there? 
Not a single one, right? I didn't say a single one. But I said something about South America, and probably half of us will get it wrong and will say, oh, you go to Africa. Oh, I don't know. I don't know where it is. It doesn't matter. You're talking about things that you're involved in. We're talking about things that we can talk to people about. You don't tell everything on the first date. But you find the things that you build connections with people for. And we're talking about trying to be more evangelistic. You don't got to convince them of every single thing right then and there. But you talk to them and you try to grow the church in that way. Number three. Third and final. This one where you can participate here and just say. We can invite people to come and hear the gospel. Jesus extended invitations countless times in the scripture. Now, it might not have come out the exact way that you think it would have come out. But nonetheless, turn to Matthew chapter 11 and go to verses 28 through 30. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Jesus says here, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's an invitation, right? Go back to the first verse, the first sentence of verse 28. Jesus said, come where? Unto me, right? Well, if you said, come to church, it's the same amount of words, right? Now, Again, when Jesus said that, how many people do you think have heard Matthew 11, 28 through 30, and it's went in one ear and went out the other? You, you couldn't count how many people. But how many people heard that and said, sounds good. I'll give it a try. I'll go. Well, that's what our invitation being extended as well. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, he said, let them, what? Come where? Come to me and drink. That's an invitation, right? He said, if you are thirsty, come to me. Why? Because he could provide that quench of the thirst. Those are invitations. You don't have to preach the sermon. I get paid to do that. And you don't have to do that, right? That's a, you don't have to do that at all. That's my job right there. You say, I'd like for you to come to church with me on Sunday morning or Sunday night. And if they say, who's a preacher? You say, it's this crazy guy that talks and walks and moves his hands all the time. You can say any of that. And they might say, sounds terrible. But they might come. But either way, they're not hearing you. You don't have, you just got them here. You got them to the door. That's all we needed right there. And then I can either share them off or bring them closer. I don't know. We'll figure out that as we go. But you don't have to preach the sermon. But you just have to invite him in. John chapter 1 and verse 46. All of you know this, right? After Philip had invited Nathaniel, Nathaniel said to him, he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's a great question, right? Because it's a question that we'd all consider. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Or you fill in the blank wherever it was. What did Philip say? Come and see. Now, Nathaniel then, it's the ball's in his court now, right? He's got two options. He's either got yes or he's either got no. The no says, I'm not going to come and see because I have this negative impression of Nazareth and all the people that are there. 
But the yes says, maybe. When you invite somebody to come, there's two options. Yes or no. Maybe, maybe not. But I read in those verses, John chapter 1 and verse 46, to me I read, it doesn't matter what Nathaniel was going to do, Philip was going. And so when we extend that invitation to somebody else, I don't know what they're going to say. I don't care what they're going to say. I hope they say yes. My answer is going to be yes. They can say no. They can think about it. They may come later. But my answer, like Philip's, was going to be come and see. Revelation 22 and verse 17. And the spirit of the bride said, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life free. Invite, invite. That's where you get involved right here. I need you to answer these questions. You get to answer these questions out loud. Don't get them wrong. Everybody look at your life, all right? First question. How can I do this? Well, first question. What time are services? I must go over these with us real quick. What time does Bible study start on Sunday morning? You already knew that. Okay. Well, then, what time does church start on Sunday morning? 10 Thought y'all missed these. All right. What time does church start on Sunday evening? Six. Six, okay. What about Bible study on Wednesday night? Six. Trick question now. Tomorrow, or excuse me, next week we have the gospel meeting. What about Mondays and Tuesdays? Seven. Don't get that wrong, all right? We don't need y'all getting here late or early, all right? Whichever one it might be. So automatically, we know what time services are. So one of the things that you're presenting to somebody is you're going to say invite, you're going to invite them to church. They're either going to say yes or no, but if they say yes, they're going to follow it up and say what time? You already know that, right? You already know that answer. Question two. Hold up a copy of the bulletin. This was really good when I wrote it. And then Boo said, I'm going to clean all the views this afternoon. And I thought, oh, we're going to throw everything away. So nobody has a copy of the bulletin. But just imagine that you have a copy of the bulletin and hold it up. And you might say, oh, this is an old one. Okay, hold up whatever you got right there. Okay? What's it say on the front? Happy Easter. Happy, happy Easter. <laughs> That's exactly it. I bet it says on the front the name of the church, the address, it has phone numbers, and it has times. Open it up to the inside. On the inside, there's probably an article. I don't care which one you're looking at, but there's probably an article or something on the inside that tells something. And I bet if you look through there, you'll see some scriptures in there. It'll say like John 3.16 somewhere in there. Or it might say something from 1 Peter. It might say something from Genesis or whatever. Now, I don't need to say this sermon because I don't know what to say. What's inside that bulletin? There's a little something for somebody to read. Might wet their whistle a little bit. You're not giving them everything. The Bible has like a thousand pages in it. You give them one. One's better than zero, right? Third. See these? We walk past these every day, right? Or every Wednesday and Sunday for the last couple of weeks. They're right here. This is something that we can extend to somebody as well. See, the point of this is, is when we say invite others to hear the gospel, we hear this in a negative sense because we say, oh, I'm going to have to start preaching and teaching. I'm going to have to answer all these questions. They're going to ask me all of these difficult questions. You give people way too much credit. They're going to say yes or no. And if they want to come, they're going to ask the simple questions. When do I need to be there? Where is it? 
How many people go there? You got numbers over here that you know. The point of thy making is this. You don't have to convince people. You don't have to evangelize people. You don't have to bring people all the way right at the start. Because if we look at something and we say, that is way too much to do, I'm not going to do anything. But if I look at this as one small step, like they said when they jumped onto the moon, right? But I look at this as one small thing, well, that's something that's a little bit easier to get done. That's something a little bit easier for us to be involved in. We don't have to talk a lot to be evangelistic. Think about that. Take that with you if you take anything with you at all. You don't have to talk a whole lot to be evangelistic. Jesus took a, shall we say, motley crew of fishermen and made them into disciples. Made them into apostles. Made them into, as the Bible said, fishers of men. Right? What can he do for us? What can he do for us? Well, they weren't probably any better. Than, they may have been living rougher lives than we were. But what can he do for us in this situation? Well, let's resolve to do a handful of things each week. First of all, let's resolve to be more evangelistic. Now, I'm already nervous. But let's think back to what we just said a few moments ago. Let's let our light shine before me. You do that however you think it needs to be done. But the little song that we used to sing when we said, when we were little said hide it under a bushel then we yelled out no, right? Because the light doesn't do any good if it's completely covered up. If we're hidden, if we're covered, if we're not making ourselves known to other people, we're doing no good. We need to be out and about with other people. Number two, we need to tell somebody about something happening at the church. I didn't tell you to quote a single scripture right there. But something that's happening in the church. Because there's always something happening in some way. And we need to invite others here. Because yes or no, that answer is going to God. It's not going to us. Our only responsibility is to invite them. Maybe they'll come. Maybe they won't. But when we're looking to be more evangelistic, these are the early steps. Get them in here first. We'll build on that. We can build off of that later. You don't do it with all the building outside. Bring the materials here and we'll build from that right there. That's the most important thing. So when we think about this morning, what is evangelism? Hopefully you've got that. Now, hopefully you've got some practical ways, some ideas to take with you as you walk out of here as well. That will help the church grow. And you will play a vital role in doing that as well. If there's anything we can do to help you, though, in any way, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.